Welcome to Coping with COVID-19. This editorially independent program from the editors of Modern Aesthetics Magazine and Practical Dermatology Magazine is made possible with advertising from Care Credit. This is Episode 4, Navigating Loans and Financing Options, featuring Dr. Joel Schlesinger, Financial Advisor David Mandel, and CPA Carol Foos. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Modern Aesthetics and Practical Dermatology and how we can cope with the uh, COVID crisis. So uh, many of you are in a quandary and have questions that need to be answered. Some of these questions are extraordinarily timely and need to be uh, done within days in order to submit for the PPP loan and or the EIDL loan or other aspects of the CARES Act. So we are fortunate to have uh, David Mandel and Carol Foos here who are with OJM, which is a wealth management uh, company that serves uh, over a thousand physicians. And uh, David and Carol have been regular contributors to practical dermatology over the years. And I uh, have had, uh, you know, multiple situations where they've uh, spoken to physicians over the years, and uh, we're very fortunate to have them here because when uh, my editor of practical dermatology, Paul Winnington, uh, handed me some questions and said, uh, "We we'd like you to speak on this," I said, "You know, can't we get somebody who's qualified to talk about this?" Well, luckily we have people who are qualified who can really help us in this uh, time of uh, great. Uh, question, discomfort, need, and many other many other things that are uh, tough. So I am going to uh, ask the first question. I'm going to start with David. David is an MBA and a JD, and uh, he uh, is uh, a wealth of information for this. So David, uh, if you can just uh, give perhaps a, 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 a slight introduction to what we might expect with the stock market. I realize that nobody knows, but you know, what's your, what's your guess here? Are we in for a long haul? Are we in for a short haul? Does this thing correct? What, what, do we, what should we think about here? Well, thank you. That's a, a great question. And of course, I am a lawyer, so I'll give you the lawyer answer. That depends. Depends on things like clients' risk tolerance. It depends on their time horizon. We manage assets, for example, my father is a physician in his 70s, much different than my brother who's in his 40s, right? Because time horizon. So that's part of it. And I think one of the key things, you know, working with your advisor is to look at your long-term plan, meaning ideally you have some plan before this crisis came in and see how is it impacted by not only what's going on in the stock market, but what's going on in your practice and income. And then make adjustments based on where you want to get. For those who have a longer term horizon, there may not be much of a change. They may keep their portfolio just as it is. For those who are shorter term, they may look to, depending on what portfolio they had already, may actually look to be more aggressive. They think things are going to come back in their time horizon or stick to their more conservative allocation. So the key is working with a professional who has your best interest in mind and tailoring that decision, good time or bad time, to your specifics. Perfect. Thank you so much. And uh, to that point, 
this may be a time that, that physicians are investing in their pension funds if they have a pension fund uh, around this time. So it may be a good time to invest. Now, a lot of physicians, dermatologists, plastic surgeons are hurting. They are not seeing income. So this may not, it may be the best time to invest, but they don't have any money. As, as a friend of mine once said, uh, this is really cheap if you have the money. So right. it's, uh, it's tough. True. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, are there, if you had somebody that needs the cash and they have money sitting in a stock uh, fund, um, I, I think I know the answer to this, but would you ever recommend that they take it out at this, at this time if they, are, if they need it? Well, if it's out of a retirement plan, I can let Carol, my partner here, speak a little bit to the tax implications. But we certainly have some clients Again, we manage money for over a thousand physicians, um, but uh, we certainly have some clients who we have, um, you know, uh, uh, peeled off some cash, sold some things that actually had some gains over time. Because yes, it's down this month, but it's been up over eight years. Maybe tailored that or prepared that with some losses, so we try to do that in a way there's there's no taxable event, but shave some some cash off because they need it. I and mean, we 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 operate in reality here, so for some clients that's important. So Carol, that's a, thank you so much, David. So Carol, my question to you is, uh, say there is a uh, practice they, that has a retirement fund and they are truly strapped, strapped, which they shouldn't be because we do have this, this PPP plan, but assume that they really do need the cash. What is the hit that they would take right now to take money out of a retirement fund? And are there better ways to access cash right now? So typically, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk outside of the CARES Act first. Um, if, a, if a physician is under age 59 and a half and pulls money out of his or her retirement plan because they need cash right now, um, in general, they could be paying ordinary income tax plus a 10% penalty tax on that distribution. So we would say that's usually the last place you want to pull money out of, right? If you've got a line of credit that you can pull from, a home equity line of credit, anything like that, that might be a better option in term, especially with low interest rate environment right now. There is a provision under the CARES Act that does allow people to pull up to $100,000 out of their retirement plan and not pay that 10% penalty tax. So it's still subject to income tax. Um, but that is specifically for people who are directly affected by COVID-19. So you were diagnosed, spouse diagnosed, family member diagnosed, and you had to leave work. Um, so that, that's certainly an option. And I think that's something for the physicians listening to speak to their CPAs about, hey, can I do this without being hit with a penalty tax? That also um, allows that up to $100,000 distribution if you qualify under the CARES Act you can pay the tax, the ordinary income tax on that distribution over a three-year period, and they're giving you the ability to put the money back into your retirement plan over the three-year period. So you're, if you're eligible for that, that's a good deal, and that might be the place to pull money. You know, certainly explore your options, right? But that's, that's definitely one of them. Couple of thoughts on that. When you say that they are directly affected by it, so does that mean if they had an employee that was directed by it, a staff member, et cetera, 
or is it just they are affected and their families are affected? Right. I, I believe with the retirement plan distributions, it means they or their families are are affected. There are some other provisions in the CARES Act that as an employer, if you've got employees affected and say you have to pay them sick leave or family leave, there are some other provisions that allow you to do some things like take uh, payroll tax credits for that, those payments. But the retirement plan distribution portion of the law talks about people more, more directly affected personally. And I, I would have to assume that given the fact that many of these people may have been uh, affected or theoretically affected during the times when tests were not available, that the government may not require a test, a positive test, because nobody could get it back a month ago. So there may be some uh, leeway on that, some wiggle room. Right, right. You know, as, as with a lot of these items in the CARES Act, guidance is changing almost daily. Um, you know, just passed on March 27th. So there, there's not a lot of just clear-cut guidance that's come out just yet. So I think that's a keep on, you know, stay on top of it, be talking to your advisors, because more guidance is coming out, you know, every few days. Well, that's a great thing, because if you can withdraw 100000 and uh, take it out without that severe penalty, as long uh, as you qualify for it, that's a huge uh, help when you might need it. Now, um, it, let's let's assume you take out the 100000 you take care of it, you start to get some cash back in. Can you put it back in and, and you don't have the, the uh, income tax uh, uh, issue? Yes, I believe that's, that's the way it's going to work. So you've got three years to put the money back in and you can put it back in. It's not going to count against your maximum allowable contribution in a year. So let's just say you're a, you're a physician and between um, your deferral and a profit sharing contribution or a match, you're putting $56,000 a year into your 401k plan and you've taken 100,000 out, you can put your full 56,000 in each of the next three years and still repay that distribution that you took out. That is great news. Well, uh, very good. Thank you so much. Sure. Now I'm gonna to turn to a little bit more of a uh, granular question. There are a lot of physicians who are going to their banks for the PPP Act or EIDL, mm -hmm. and their banks are saying, we can't process it. And uh, it may not be that they've gone to the, uh, to the, to the point where they've uh, processed that many loans. But for example, I've heard uh, from people with Chase I've heard from people with uh, Wells Fargo and other larger banks that they are either declining to or that they are saying that there's some roadblock. Is this correct or are these banks just uh, uh, saying something that's, that's false? Um, I mean, I think for some of them it is correct. My understanding, for instance, um, with Wells Fargo, I believe because of some issues they had um, with, you know, opening accounts without people knowing a few years ago, maybe their allocation of loan, amount of loans they're allowed to process is lower than some of the other banks. That's what I've heard. So that may very well be true. Um, I believe probably the SBA does, you know, limit each particular bank to a certain amount. So you know, some banks got their portals up or their application process up more quickly than others. Um, 
President Trump and Secretary Mnuchin have been speaking this week about they're going to try to get potentially another, you know, $200 billion into this PPP program because it's been so well received, even as early as this week. They're trying to look at Congress voting without coming back to D.C. So, I, I, but also some banks are where they originally said they were only going to take applications from their customers. There are also some banks that are now saying, hey, even if you're not a customer, we'll process your application. So I would encourage listeners to reach out to other banks, you know, again, reach out to your accountant, for instance, and say, who else do you have a relationship with? What banker that might be able to help me or your attorney, you know, your other advisors, if your bank's not processing applications, that's a good resource to look to. Thank you, Carol. And uh, personally, we uh, had leveraged uh, a banking relationship to get our PPP uh, process because we were with one of those banks that said that they could not process it because they were larger. Mm -hmm. And at that point, my uh, banker pulled in a favor from a friend of his in a smaller bank nearby us. It, It worked out pretty well. So I have to say that you know, some banks are not, but they have relationships, and this is a yes. time to to uh, put them uh, to take them to their word and help you out. If they don't, then I would seek another banking relationship after this is all over. Right. Uh, well, excellent. So I'm going to turn back to David. Uh, David, I can you give me an idea of what you, if you were a business owner, a, a a dermatologist, plastic surgeon in practice, running your own solo or uh, multi-practitioner dermatology practice would do to save money right now? I'll give you a couple ideas. I'll turn it over to Carol because she's really advising our clients on that. But one thing for sure would be whether you have a mortgage or you pay rent. That's probably the first place I would go in because some states and there's certainly some federal programs or in terms of um, uh, uh, sort of common uh, practice right now that banks are perhaps allowing you to pay uh, interest only for a number of months. And, and, and Carol can even speak to whether some maybe are even waiving payments rent as, as well. Uh, with landlords, you might be able to negotiate uh, uh, not paying for a while, especially um, uh, if you are, have a good relationship there and, and are in a long-term lease, they may see you as valuable and willing to do that. Carol, do you want to make another comment on adding on to that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, I would be going to vendors, certainly vendors where you've got a good relationship with them. You know, you're typically an on-time payor um, and talk to them about extending the terms. You know, if you had just ordered a lot of supplies, say, before this all happened and you've got a bill due for those, you know, talk about extending those terms. Hey, instead of net 30, can I pay them net 90 and give you a third, a third, a third? Um, Also, some of the credit card companies do have programs where you can get a 60-day extension, Um, you know, and I think a lot of vendors and companies, as David said, banks, you know, consolidating loans, looking to pay interest only, even on some of those equipment leases, you know, asking about you know, a 60-day extension or a forgiveness or making smaller payments. Um, I think reaching out, you know, I have heard a lot of clients say vendors have been um, very helpful in this. 
And I think that's the other thing too, right? When it's all over, those are going to be the relationships you value and you want to keep doing business with. So a hundred percent, Carol, that is a, that's great advice. Both Carol and David, thank you so much. That's great advice. I will tell you that uh, a lot of the companies that we deal with have been extraordinarily helpful with regards to product. So for example, we had some uh, fillers and some neurotoxins sitting around that we know won't get used during this uh, period. And first of all, they said that they would be fine to take it back or replace it at the end if it, if it is uh, out, out of date or close to date. So that's very nice. Um, many of them have uh, said that they'll extend their terms. So I'm fairly certain that both Allergan and Galderma have stated they'll, they'll extend their terms on it uh, and on all purchases. So uh, talk with your Allergan and or Galderma rep about that. But the other thing is that if you have a lease for a laser, for example, you can talk to them and just say, my laser is not getting used. Do we need to pay this lease and can you extend it? We've also had great luck with uh, some of our advertisement uh, uh, companies uh, for example, uh, people that you're doing advertising with for cosmetic procedures and in other such procedures, and they have been either willing to forgive the payments for the months that we are obviously not advertising to get customers in here. We put any advertising on hold that was radio, television, newspaper, and again, they were extraordinarily helpful and uh, remarkable in, in canceling that. Um, Basically, this is a time to forensically go over every single payment your practice is making. We found several payments that were uh, going on that we didn't even know about that were, you know, $40 a month here, $100 a month here. And we said, goodness gracious, let's shut this down. And it was a great thing. We're paying $480 for some monitoring service, uh, $480 a year for some monitoring service for our internet that wasn't even being used. So again, forensically go over everything and renegotiate, renegotiate, renegotiate. Right. So, um, so excellent. I, I almost hate to get into the question of the PPP loans because every time I get into it, it's changed the night before. <laughs> and so I, Carol, are you the, uh, are you the guru on the PPP loans? I am. And you're right. I don't think it changed last night, but it did change two nights ago. So uh, it is ever changing for sure. So uh, tell me, what are the, what are the uh, basics of this? And, and I'm going to ask you to keep it high level uh, so that we can, we can uh, talk to the average person, because I, I will tell you, my eyes glaze over after about <laughs> one and a half, two minutes of discussing PPP loans. I understand. I, I'm the same way with you discuss, discussing dermatologic procedures. So I totally understand. Um, so the basics are, this is a, for, the PPP loan is a forgivable loan, very high level. The maximum amount of the loan you can apply for is looking back at your last 12 months of average monthly payroll limiting anyone who makes over $100,000 a year to that $100,000 per year, so $8,333 per month. Take your average monthly payroll times 2.5. So essentially, you can get two and a half months worth of your average payroll in the form of a loan. 
via your bank, as we spoke about, not directly through the SBA website. So you're going to your bank to apply. You get the loan and the uses for the loan, it can cover payroll costs, including group health and retirement benefits that the company pays, along with mortgage interest, rent, and utilities. 75% of the loan needs to be used for payroll. And in terms of the forgiveness, they're going to look at what you paid over the eight weeks following receipt of the loan. So again, payroll limited to $100,000 annually per employee, group health, retirement benefits, mortgage interest, rent utilities. If you've kept your employee count the same from last year to this year or from the first two months of this year to this time period, 100% of the loan can be forgiven for those costs. Great. So let's let's make it simple, uh, as simple as we can. So you have a payroll that um, after all is said and done for uh, your payroll, uh, you are making over a hundred thousand, but your caps, you, you, assuming you're the the right. physician, you're capped at a hundred thousand, and then you have payroll of another hundred and forty thousand for other. Uh, employees. So let's say you have, okay. you know, four employees, they're making 140000 among among themselves mm -hmm. uh, during a year. So you're at $240,000. So let's divide that $240,000 by 12 months. That's $20,000 a month, right? Right. 20,000 times two and a half, 50,000. So your loan that you can get is 50,000? Correct. Correct. So you can get $50,000 from that loan. And is that 240,000 inclusive of FICA and all that, or is that just straight salary? So it is salary, it is um, healthcare benefits, it is retirement benefits. You have a 401k match or profit sharing, that's includable. And it is um, state taxes on compensation, so not federal. So for instance, a state unemployment payment could be included. So your total payroll, so like you could be paying your uh, nurse uh, $25 an hour, so let's assume 50,000 a year, but it's really more than 50,000 a year that exactly. you're gonna factor in. So you're gonna 50 That's factor right. in, like benefits might be health insurance of uh, maybe uh, $600 a month, right? Right, um, right. Add another $600 times, uh, times 12 months, that's $7,200 a year in benefits. So right. that person has just gone from 50,000 to 57,200 a year. And what exactly. else can you add in, Carol? Um, so group health benefits, a 401k match or profit sharing contribution that the company makes, and then state and local taxes on payroll that the company's paying. So again, typically that's going to be a state unemployment tax. I mean, obviously different states and localities might have some additional taxes. So um, you're so you're really uh, so let's say your average employee let's say they do make fifty thousand dollars a year you might top out at sixty to sixty five thousand a year for absolutely that. yes and also and as you mentioned this is changing daily the most recent guidance that came out also said that that hundred thousand dollar annual limit per employee is for cash compensation so on top of that you can add in group health uh, for that employee or for you as the owner, as well as, you know, retirement plan contributions for that employee. So it might and be that richer. Just came out. 
It might be right, richer right. than Right, absolutely, it. yes. Okay, And so, again, mm -hmm. potentially fully forgivable. So I would say probably worth the effort of going through it and calculating it and applying. And if not, and if forgiven, it's that forgiveness alone is not taxable also, correct? Correct. correct. Which is big. Yes. This is a huge thing. Now, time is of the essence. I think there are banks that are legitimately, legitimately running out of their loan capacity. Now, I will tell you that in, in our situation, we ended up going to a bank that was a, a kind of, we had a, an arm's length relationship. We had a loan through that bank and we were kind of starting a relationship on, on a, one of our accounts with them. They went through some hoops and were able to push us through on it. And it's not one of the better known banks in our area, but they're awesome. They really helped us out in time of need. And, you know, what I'm going to uh, say is that, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, uh, an area that has a smaller bank or a new starting bank, they may be able to help you out where the bigger banks have already been uh, slammed with everybody and frankly do not have the time or effort or ability to, to process loans. So I think, you know, just watch out for a bank that might be near you, a patient who is uh, maybe uh, allied with a bank, not a teller, right. I'm talking to the that maybe the vice president of the bank comes to you as a as a patient, or your your friend knows that that uh, that bank person, and you can uh, reach out and call in a favor. But don't go to you know big bank USA. Go to you know some small town bank that that might be able to to get the the loans processed. Right, and frankly, a lot of the community banks were were up and running with this program faster than than the larger banks. You know, I think the larger banks obviously I'm sure have a lot more compliance to get through, a lot more hoops to jump through to get these things up. So that's absolutely right. Even if it's somebody you know socially who's a banker or you know play golf with, play tennis with, whatever it might be, reach out to that person. It certainly doesn't hurt to ask. Okay. And you know, I'm gonna ask now, I mean a lot of people uh, that are have loans due, have payments. They may have uh, payments due for you know uh, kids' tuition and stuff like that. And a hundred thousand dollars a year may not may not make get those done. What is the what is the next best resource if you need a loan as a, a dermatologist, plastic surgeon, uh, PA, and to, in order to to cover you? What would your next best cheapest source for money be? So there's certainly um, also the EIDL loans under the CARES Act, Economic Injury Disaster Loans. Those can be used for a wider variety of costs. Um, again, more for your business, right? So if you're, if you're thinking, okay, I'm only going to get $100,000 of payroll or over the next couple months, that prorated amount. Um, I still need to pay my kids' tuition, my mortgage, my everything personally. Um, if you can get some more money for your business to pay those vendors that we talked about earlier, to pay for supplies, accounts payable, some other debt obligations, that might free up some additional portions of your savings that you can use to pay your personal expenses. I think the other sort of easy, low-hanging fruit places to look would be lines of credit for your business, um, again, lines of credit, home equity lines of credit, 
places like that are going to be typically the cheapest way to go. How about margin loans? If you have stock in an account, yeah, in that, margin that loans. Advised? Absolutely, if that margin loans are typically, you know, relatively reasonable rates. And again, if you're looking for money, I would say absolutely look at a margin loan before you're looking at pulling money out of your retirement plan. So for those of you uh, who may not know exactly what a margin loan is, uh, David, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. That would be, it's a loan against your uh, investment portfolio. You'd work with your investment advisor or, or the custodian where you have assets and they loan against that value. But like, um, like a loan against a home, they want to see enough collateral. So they want, they'll loan you a certain percentage of the balance. And, um, you know, there's volatility in, in, um, in accounts that there isn't in your home in terms, because you don't really know your home is going to be worth till you sell it. So generally, um, it's going to be a lower amount than might, you might get from a percentage basis, but that also protects you a bit because you don't want a margin call, which is what happens if you go below, the value goes below a certain buffer. Um, so it's another, you know, what I like about some of these concepts on a personal basis, and especially the home equity line of credit is once you have it in there, it doesn't mean you have to borrow it all. Uh, we have a lot of clients who have a significant home equity line of credit, but they may have only borrowed now, you know, before this crisis, 5% on it. Now, even if they come up to 20, 30%, that's, that's fine. Even if they come up to 100% of what that home equity line was. So both the home and the margin loan, I think, can be good, good tools to get cash and interest rates are low. So if you're, let's assume your home is legitimately worth uh, $300,000 and you go to your your banker who is holding the loan uh, and you, you have, you've paid down to maybe $100,000 of the loan. Does that mean you can get 200,000 back or are they gonna no. take some cushion? No, yeah, no, they're not gonna go to the, to the uh, fair market value. I, on that example, again, I'm not a banker and I haven't looked at this for a client in a minute, but I would think if you had uh, 300,000 of equity, they might be, go to half of that, so 150. So if you already had 100 already in the existing loan, they might go to 50 on the uh, uh, home equity line. I mean, in normal times, and I think this still survives, banks like physicians. I mean, normally physicians are closed, so they can typically, and, and, and I say this all you know, seriously, Many banks have specific home loan programs for physicians where they provide more uh, to eat up more equity they'll allow than many other professions. So, if, you know, what we're going through now is unprecedented, but, you know, for a doc listening to this, I think that's a good place to start. They're looking for a place to get cash at low interest rates. So let's go back to the stocks. So you, you have an account with, uh, let's say, Ameritrade for, or Schwab with your stocks, and it has $100,000 worth of stocks now. It, you, before the crash, it was worth 150, say, and now it's gone down to worth only 100,000. What is your likely margin ability on that 100,000 that is left in there? Yeah, Carol can correct me on this, but I would say it would be between 20 and 50%. In that range, uh, not going to be as high as I think the uh, the home home equity, um, and probably more like twenty to thirty. Um, again, because of volatility, we, we can see how things can go come down pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, Carol. 
I was just going to say, you're also probably going to pay a little higher interest rate on a margin account than you are on a, a home equity um, where rates are now. So just in terms of if I'm checking things off the box and looking at what's my cheapest way to get cash, I might first go to a home equity Got if, it. That, if that's available. Are we talking like 1% on home equity, 2%? Um, you know, it varies a lot. A lot of them go with, you know, prime plus something. So it might be prime plus one and a half, but yeah, you can, you can get some pretty low. I know a lot of people who have home equity lines at, you know, two and a half percent maybe right now. So. Good. Well, I mean, it's not as good as the PPP loan, which is, I think. Right, right, right. But hey, it's, it's here if it's available. And what I want to stress to any and everyone who is watching this is that, you know, please don't feel like you are in a, a, a situation where people don't want to help you. I can assure you, I absolutely can assure you, and I'm sure that David and Carol can as well, you are a good bet for them. You're a lot better bet than a lot of other small business owners who are going to lose their business. Once this is over and it's going to be over soon, you're going, they're going to be all over you. And this is a great time to form a relationship, go to a banker, make that outreach, and they will be delighted to help you. And they will probably do it with better terms than you would ever imagine. Now, I'm going to ask a question for you guys that is kind of a a dicey question. Uh, Are the venture capital companies, like the ones that want to buy the practices, knocking on doctors' doors now? And if they knock on your door and they say, doctor, I'm willing to buy your practice, um, what, what should you do if they say that? I'll, I'll make a comment then let Carol because I know she got an email on this right in with the, somebody related yeah. to dermatology. I mean, if if the if if they come and they're knocking on the door with offers that tie to your standard, you know, uh, trailing revenues, so what a normal practice looks like, then you could entertain that in a way that you would in a non-crisis mode. If it's a vulture type deal where hey now you're really you know, under the gun, and we're here to take advantage of it. Do the everything else we've talked about for the last, uh, you know, half an hour uh, to keep your practice afloat, because we know at some point it will come back and you'll be super busy because all the people who've been putting off things are going to be there. And you'll get back to your normal valuation, your normal EBITDA, your normal financials. If it if it's reflecting by that, then you would look at it just as you would in any com- in any way. Um, Carol, I know you got an email related to this, um, actually right. in dermatology. So I did. Yeah. Just, just, a, a CPA, uh, relationship we have had someone in private equity who is looking, you know, for some specifics on dermatology practices. And this was during the crisis. Um, so I would say the same thing. I think the private equity firms are still certainly looking for deals right now. They're working through this crisis and things have not really changed for them. Um, but I would agree with David. I think the other thing that that practice owners need to consider is if you've got an equity firm coming in with a deal where they're, they're trying to get a great deal from you, the other thing to keep in mind is typically with those deals, right, you're, you're signing some sort of an employment agreement over a period of time. So you do want to look at too if that's how they're coming in. Is that going to be who you want to work with over the next few years? 
I think that this is a time and a lot of people are strapped and emotionally charged. And I, I would probably just venture to say that this is the worst possible time to make a lifetime decision or a, a, an irreversible decision. You are selling something that you've worked hard for. This may last for three months, six months and be on its way better. And you know you're 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 probably not best to make this decision unless you have, for example, considered this in the past. If you were working with a firm and were really close to signing a deal or had a deal that it was that was ready, and they're accepting the same terms and not changing terms on you, maybe it is worthwhile. Um, on the other hand, I think that probably you're going to get in some ways. Uh, somehow uh, less money for your practice and less value for your practice at this time. And you're going to climb yourself out of this hole very soon. We are going to get recovered and this is going to be a blip. So you hate to sell at the absolute low. I mean, would you agree, Carol and David are feeling I would. Good? Yeah. And I would say the other thing that sort of goes back to uh, David's comments about the the stock market in the downturn, right? If you're looking at that or you're getting an offer right now, more important than ever to talk to an advisor who can make help you with some unemotional advice on it, right? And evaluate help you evaluate the offer from that independent standpoint. I I really want to thank you, David and Carol, for being a part of this practical dermatology, uh, modern aesthetics, uh, Bryn Mawr Communications uh, seminar on how you can uh, survive this uh, COVID crisis financially.